Welcome to the Speaking Podcast. You can find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com or also on YouTube and YouTube Speaking Podcast. I also have the Awakening Podcast, Meditation Podcast, Learn Polish Podcast, and the Crypto Podcast, and all can be found on RoyCon.com. Today, my guest, I think she's doing more podcasts than myself. Please welcome Anne-Marie Cross. Nice to be here, Roy. Thank you. So before we talk about, I mean, we can talk about a lot of stuff on the speaking, and I definitely want to touch on the, the podcasting, but you might introduce yourself to the audience. Sure. Yes. Well, as you said, Anne-Marie Cross, so I'm in Melbourne, Australia. Um, I started podcasting in 2008, way back uh, when I had to explain to people uh, what a podcast was. Thank goodness that the world has caught up and uh, so many more listeners and people such as yourself doing awesome uh, work in the the space of their podcasts. But I was in the career industry then. And the reason we started, a co-host and I were very disillusioned about the doom and gloom mainstream media was portraying across every single platform at that time when the global financial crisis hit and so we thought we need to be the voice of hope and inspiration so we knew things were difficult you know a lot of people had lost their jobs around the world but we knew things were not hopeless and people needed to change their approach to job search so we did the show for two years had an incredible time met so many awesome people around the world which I'm sure you do each and every day with your podcasts too and uh, even though we parted ways I continue to do podcasting ever since and I've just loved it now I work not so much with on uh, with uh, uh, executives and professionals, but rather with entrepreneurs, really helping them uh, take their message, their expertise to be seen as a trusted authority. They can make a much bigger impact in the world with their message and, and build their business. So uh, it's been, it's, it's certainly been a, an interesting 13 years in the podcasting space. Well, you mentioned in 2008, you were telling people, I started uh, the speaking podcast in 2018. The amount of people I had to tell that was a podcast. I mean, I don't have to do it anymore. But So I can imagine 10 years earlier what it was like. Yes, yeah. So many more speakers now because of what's happened in the world with so many platforms and face-to-face conferences and so forth. Podcasting is an incredible platform, isn't it, to, to share your voice and, uh, yeah, your your reputation. So, yeah, it's an exciting space. And a lot more listeners, as you said, been uh, growing over the years, which is good. And just like, uh, since we're on that topic, when you had the co-host, because like I have one where I'm like, you know, I'm the student and uh, for the Polish one, and then there's the teacher, I do another kind of conversation one, but not co-host kind of thing. So how did you find that? How do you like, did you have strategies for the you had guests as well for that? I'm assuming. So did you have a strategy that one wasn't hogging the stage or one wasn't like, how did you kind of, did you have kinks to work it out? Because the reason I'm saying is some people want to set up a podcast now and they might be like, I even know some of my listeners actually have set up one recently and they've co-hosted, giving them a bit of tips as well for somebody. Yeah, great, great question. I mean, back then, uh, because it was such a new space, none of us really knew. We we didn't even call it a podcast, um, but we just knew that we needed to to get our message out there. But interestingly, my co-host, had gone through a number of years earlier a 12-month how to be a radio host course but he was told at the end of the 12 months your voice is too squeaky so you're not going to be good for the radio platform but it was good to have that training so I was slightly nervous when I first started if you go back and listen and the the first two years of episodes are still up there and they're rather cringeworthy but anyway it was good for 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 the time and for this the sound quality for for that time of course but what I found was that he was quite able to have the conversation it took me a few years to or a few months actually to get comfortable so 
But we were able to navigate, you know, when someone else was speaking, we kind of were, were silent and then we could kind of pick up the nuance when the conversation was finishing. We probably had more difficulty with guests than with each other. We could kind of sense when someone had finished speaking or we would end with a, a kind of, what do you think, Keith? My co-host's name was Keith. We had one guest that we asked the question. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and your business. And 20 minutes later, she was still raving on about how wonderful she was. So I think we had more problems with navigating. How do we kind of cut out, cut off our guest and, uh, you know, not let them uh, hog all of the, the, the airspace, so to speak. But uh, yeah, we learned how to navigate between each other. And we had a couple of things that we knew we'd finished, we'd ask a question. But one thing about a co-host that I would recommend for anyone who's thinking of, of uh, you know, establishing a podcast, one of the reasons why we stopped our podcast is that we uh, we really struggled to monetize that. And for the time and effort that we put into it, uh, we weren't really seeing clients for our business. And there was a number of factors, I think, that had to do with the fact that both of us, whilst we were in the career space, Uh, We had different business models. He was very much working with clients who were more at the beginning stages of, of career change and job search. Whereas for me, I was working more with senior executives, CEOs and so forth. So the topic that we spoke, whilst it was relevant, it could be for you know a, a number of job seekers, it wasn't niched enough for each other. So as we know in business, you really want to speak a message that it cuts through the noise and gets to the heart of the problems, the challenges, you know, an issues that your ideal client is faced with and our podcast was not niched enough and uh, so just be mindful whoever you're co-hosting with if the purpose and the outcome of your podcast is to generate clients and, and awareness of your business then you want to make sure that you've got a similar audience how are you going to you know what's the call to action to get people off your podcast and onto your list and so that you can build that community where you can continue to nurture so those are things that I would really recommend someone consider before they get into a co-host situation only to realize, hey, it's very difficult to have a co-host because both people are people that your audience, you know, really starts to build no like and trust. But then if you try and take business away from each of those, it's a little bit difficult. So anyway, just some some insights to consider. Excellent tips. And I assume in them days, it was kind of face to face as opposed to now, like you're in Australia, I'm in Poland, like at that time, because when I started, I used to sit down, but I didn't record it. I tried setting up the camera, but it was just, it wasn't working. But I found, you know, you get to know the person a lot better, build a relationship. But now the quality is perfect doing Zoom. But yeah, Absolutely. Back then we used a platform and it's still around today, even called Blog Talk Radio. And Back then, only Skype had just started. Skype was still, that that shows kind of, uh, you know, our age. Uh, and, and so the video aspect of that had not been, you know, there, there really wasn't video. Video had not really been introduced. And so it really was only audio and the audio was shocking. In fact, I've, I've gone back and listened to a few comments or seen a few comments on there. They said, are these hosts calling in from a submarine or something? It really does sound like we're, you know, underwater. But that was the quality back then. I don't if you ever heard of you know tele seminar lines 
telechat and so forth, you really would just ring in on your phone. That's how we, you know, how my co-host would ring in. You would get a phone card. I would dial in and um, and so the quality was really bad. But thankfully, as you say, the technology that we have at our fingertips now is uh, pretty awesome to think that you and I are now speaking. We're on opposite sides of the planets. We've got video, we've got audio and, uh, yeah. High what, what I found, I, I think you you probably kind of train yourself to, because recently I had a guest on and they didn't realize we were doing a Zoom and they said, oh, I'm not prepared for Zoom. And they wanted to cancel. And I said, look, we can start studio. And we, so we had the cameras off. And, you know, because normally you'd get the cue, because I know straight away by looking at you when you're finished and then to come in. But when there's no picture, it's, you know, it's a different training. You know, you have to be kind of conscious of, did they finish or are they just taking a breath? Yes, I, I totally, totally. And I've done both. I, and I prefer the, the the visual aspect of that. Although I must say, because I do back-to-back interviews, so I like to batch everything, that when you have only audio and you're not actually looking at the person, it takes less energy than if you are looking at the video screen. I think neuroscience has shown that if you're looking at a screen and watching video versus just audio listening, the audio uses less you know, brain power. And, and so forth so less stress on the body so to speak so just another you know fact that i've yeah, researched yeah. on video and, and of course audio so getting into your speaking you might tell me your speaking journey when you were younger how to, because i mean i know you've done a lot of workshops keynotes and retreats and stuff like that so you might just tell me as you were younger how you was it something that phased you you know, if I think back to when I was younger, I remember probably about the age of three, three and a half, four, I remember standing on a kitchen table, kind of announcing to my older brothers and my family, just some things, some rules and things like that. So I don't really think that I was ever really afraid of, of public speaking. Even at school, I used to love the show and tell. Did you ever have that at, at, at your schools where you would bring something in, whatever that may be, and you would share a story about that? And I remember one of the young boys in my class, I would have only been, goodness, seven, eight at the time, said, Miss Anne-Marie, um, show and tells are always so interesting because I had family that would travel a lot overseas and they'd bring back dolls and stories of different cultures and things like that and I would always love to, to share that on and so uh, I've always loved speaking but you know what's interesting I think so often people you, you know we we preempt something so if if we're fearful about speaking getting up whatever a small group of people large group of people we can build ourselves up so much that we take ourselves out, you know, we take ourselves out. I've heard of stories where, you know, one of my colleagues had a husband who for many, many years had positioned himself for a specific role to, uh, to, to apply for. And it was an internal promotion, finally got the job. And he was told, well, now this job's slightly changing and you are expected to now go and speak in front of groups of clients and teams from around the, you know, the organization nationally. He said, I don't want the job. He turned it down because he did not want to speak. And so I think, yeah, I've, I've never myself never had a, had a fear. I've just loved the, the being able to share and impact people. That to me, I think is uh, amazing that you can share a story and insights and wisdom. And if that helps someone, you know, with a solution to something that they're struggling with, make someone, you know, um, have a brighter day for something that they're struggling with. I think that's a, a job well done then. I, I didn't do the show and tell, but 
Like that's something that every school should do because like I have a lot of guests and sometimes, I mean, I was very late overcoming the, the fear of public speaking. And if you do that with children, once they start school, whether it's four or seven, depending on the country, they don't even think about it. They just get into the routine of doing that. And you know, that should be mandatory every, because a child is happy to show off their latest toy or whatever. As you say, if you've got, you know, cousins giving you presents from abroad and it's a story. So people are learning you know geography yeah. and everything else and yeah unfortunately we yeah. didn't do it but i think that yeah nice that's yeah something. it does actually now that you reminded me even at um then we had intermediate school because i originally came from new zealand and that was after primary school and between college and so i would have been about 11 and 12 and they had um, speaking um speaking competitions and i got to the finals and i was able to speak to uh to to our whole um the whole form so this you know the the first and second form and i remember the topic that i spoke about was trees of all things trees <laughs> don't know why i still like trees i'm a bit of a tree hugger myself love nature so there you go yeah no there's a book i forget the name i know i have it here it's something about the, the, something about trees and it is mind-blowing the way that they, you know, the roots. It's like an internet system, the way trees work. And, yeah. Yeah, oh, I, fascinating. That's a whole other topic of itself, <laughs> isn't it? We need more trees. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So with, with, the, with the speaking then, like, you know, you've done keynotes, yeah, that you've um, – so you might let me know, one, the way that you kind of structure yourself for it and how you, you know, do you prepare for, for the keynotes? Yeah, well, what I – I am always very mindful about, um, even if I've got a particular topic, topic that I want to speak about, I'm always very particular in finding out from the organisation or the, the event coordinator who is going to be there, what is the outcome that they're looking for, because that's also going to determine a few things, uh, particularly the stories that I share, because you might have sp some specific insights that you want to uh, impart with people, but I think the stories that you share around the insights just allows them to deepen the, the learning if you will. But the stories that you share are going to be very different. So if it's an audience of people who may be a lot of the speaking that I have done has to do with business, you know, marketing, uh, personal branding, uh, all of those kind of things. And so I will find out uh, is this audience more uh, just beginners in their business? Are they more startups in their business? Because they're going to relate more to more examples of how startups have used the different tools, techniques and so forth that I'm sharing. Or are they more progressed in their business? So they're therefore going to have more challenges in a certain area. So um, that also very much refines the, the kind of topics that I really hone in on. Um, other things too, such as language. I know that might sound a little bit um, strange. Like, like language are there people there that are uh, primarily English speaking or more, more multicultural? You've got to be sensitive to these things, I, I guess, isn't it? Because some of the examples that you may share, the stories, they have no relevance to, to them. They may not know. And so I've been, been very mindful of that too, particularly when I started podcasting, because some of the things that you might say, because I'm an Australian, um, I might say something or a bit of a joke, and that could be quite offensive to, to other people, you know, around the the in different cultures and and a, this was a, a story that was driven home to me and someone um said that in the chinese culture when you go i think there was a color green or something i'm, I'm not 100 sure but anyway there was a color and that color was um given in a cap and in something to a, a, you know a chinese businessman and the chinese businessman looked really horrified because that particular color 
when it was given and extended basically said something like it means I'm having an affair with your wife or something and that kind of that story kind of rung to me I mean not that I'd be talking about that kind of topic but just being aware of the sensitivities of your audience is going to make sure that the examples that you share and some of the nuances are going to land well because that is what they'll remember if you say a joke that completely flops or offends that's the thing that they're going to remember afterwards isn't it because people don't really remember often what you say but they'll they'll remember how you feel so not only that is is the topic that I share um, something that I make sure is relevant but I also make sure the the other conversations and the stories is such that allows them to have a good experience as part of being there you mentioned about kind of catering for the audience especially international that's something that i didn't do at the start with the podcast especially the awakening one but like i looked at the audience and i said okay it's like mainly 50 percent is american then there's the uk and i make sure that i cover points in them countries because i have to serve because you know there's no point in you know concentrating on the less than one percent of my audience but a lot of people don't and i wasn't doing that at the start was just kind of talking in general i know you could be talking about say ireland and for some reason i mean i should have a high percentage of in ireland but i don't it's like one percent or less so even though i will mention ireland i don't put my, all my attention on it and sometimes people they, they do the opposite and it's just to be yeah. conscious of who's actually listening to you yeah absolutely a couple of things other things that i think is going to be very relevant to, to now as well is that finding out when you are speaking and what's happening before before so and what i mean by that is you know is the keynote is it going to be something happening beforehand well what have people been sitting there for a long period of time because if they have and there's been no break then you obviously will need to start there might be something that you get them to do that will cause a bit of laughter and that you really engage or get them to move a little bit these kind of things can really help too and in how you you lead them you know down the journey of your presentation um they may be coming back from a break you know and you might be the first one um that is on stage giving your keynote and in that case you may want to bring everybody's attention then there may, may be some more people that come a little bit late so all of these different things if you know exactly how best to prepare will allow you to come up with that right to start off that you know that presentation right from the word go I think another tip that I that I learned myself was is someone going to introduce you because there may be some things that you want them to introduce you in your introduction that you may not necessarily be able to say yourself and you may want someone to say that for you so rather than you say certain things about yourself and weave that into your story getting someone to share that as they introduce you is going to land better too from a social proof kind of aspect so those are kind of things that I think of as well and that can be really relayed to now with so many people are now doing online presentations you want to find out how long have people been on the screen have they had a break can I show some slides as well as just you know talking head can I provide them something to write down and take notes so they're doing a bit of a kinesthetic movement and writing notes rather than just staring and uh, looking at a screen so I, I think of all these things and how can I make this presentation be a good experience for someone and and yeah, can I do something, integrate something that can maybe break up that sitting and watching or just staring or, you know, that kind of tiredness? Because we have a certain amount of energy, don't we? And we want to make sure that when we're speaking and engaging with our audience that they're able to maintain that level of energy that we know 
they'll take away some real takeaways from that presentation. Um, the next one then is like workshops, because I know on your website, you list all the different, because it's more corporate that you go. So one, you might tell us how you land the corporate clients. So what, what was your strategy? Because I mean, you've got, you know, a lot that you've done because some people, you know, they're starting off and they haven't a clue what to do. And the other thing is like how long they are and how you structure it. Yeah. Interesting question. That's going to depend, I think, on organization to organization and and also to what the purpose is. Some organizations that they've had me come to deliver a workshop was maybe part of a series. And so and it might have been a lunchtime workshop for for staff versus uh, and staff want to be there. They've selected to be there. So it's not being compulsory versus we want you to come in here and deliver a workshop and people have to come to this. It's a required. Uh, because some people have to go to workshops in the workplace and they don't necessarily want to be there. So you've got to know these things because in that case, you've got some rapport building, don't you, beforehand. You don't just want to launch into what you're presenting with if you know that there's a few people in there that have kind of, you know, sitting there and thinking, I just can't wait till this finishes. So that's really important. Again, what I shared with the keynote, finding out as much as you can about the audience. Um, I remember doing a key wo- a, a, a workshop for a group of authors and romantic author, romance authors. I knew nothing about romance authors, so I had to do a little bit of research. But they wanted me to do a workshop on procrastination. And I I sent a questionnaire through to the organisers and asked a number of questions, just not too many questions so that it was, you know, a laborious um, effort on their part, but enough questions to give me an insight onto what they, you know, what they were interested in and why they would want to know more. And you know what, even though I gave them some practical tips on how to overcome procrastination, with the feedback that I got from these authors, I could see a lot had to do with mindset. So I brought in actual activities to be able to do with them that identified the mindset. And you know what, interestingly, what the biggest barrier to cause people procrastination for these romance authors was uh, rejection, fear of rejection. They procrastinated because if they finished their scripts, they would have to send it to the editors and the editors might come back and say to them, you need to start from scratch. So these are the things that became apparent when asking the right questions and so that I could bring the right activities as well. That's another point for a keynote too. A lot of times a keynote, depending on the, the, the audience number, are you able to get feedback from the audience or not? And so if you're not able to get a bit of feedback from the audience, you, of course, then are going to, that's going to be limit the questions, feedback, you know, interaction from, from the audience per se. In a workshop, typically you can. So you've got a bit of opportunity to, depending on the time, have some activities where they might be able to break up into small groups and be able to discuss things. So therefore, you're not having to have so much information that they're overwhelmed, but have, you know, different times and breaks through the workshop to be able to to do some hands-on and some engagement within smaller teams. So that's really important. But again, finding out what is the needs, what's the outcome that that particular organisation, what's the timing, um, what technologies are available and, you know, how can you break up the room? Is How is the room actually set? I mean, some of these things might just sound, um, you know, why would you ask that? But it's, it, it's important because, you know, are people going to be sitting 
in, in groups where they can, you know, engage with one another? Or is the room going to be set up in such a way that um, they're very much apart or, you know, kind of in a U-shaped? All of that can make a huge difference to, you know, the the atmosphere, the ambience of, of the learning space can make a huge difference to uh, to the outcome and overall engagement in, in learning. So does that help? Does that kind of yeah, give you no, some? Absolutely. No, brilliant. And I'm just curious, did you press, procrastinate when you were writing your two books? Uh, yes. <laughs> I think I, you know, one of the one of the strategies or tactics that I use to help is to change location because it's kind of like a new location, new you know, new anchors, you know, kind of call that anchors. I think in one particular chapter, I moved from room to room to room to room to room just to get it out. Sometimes it was like pulling teeth. It was like pulling teeth. So, yeah. But I tell you what, it's it's yeah, it's so important to know what distracts you, what are some of the distractions that you have, and then to minimise those and set yourself time to to write. And if you know what time of day you are at your most productive, schedule that time to to write, you know. I found, because I, I wrote one, but I didn't publish it because it was kind of a bit too controversial, but I will be getting it out. And it was like, I found very early in the morning kind of six o'clock was my my time but listening to music so i'd have music in the background and i found that, that i was most productive that with, with yeah. that but not music with words because then you end up singing along and you can't <laughs> think about the words you're writing <laughs> that's what i found yeah. anyway so you might because i know one of the books is about interviews and the other is about the podcast. you might tell us what the books were and not just explain them a bit. oh absolutely so the first book i wrote was in the career space i i love uh, one of the areas was interview coaching and so many of my clients would say to me oh why can't you do the interview it just rolls off your tongue and uh, and my diary got my schedule got so busy that i you know could not interview coach a lot of people and they said well could you write a book and then we could kind of take that knowledge so it really was getting my knowledge out of my head and putting it into a, a book so it's called 10 key steps to ace that interview that was the first one and uh, the second one i really wrote that because uh, i had gone from you know doing a lot of podcasting and, and leveraging podcasting in my, my my business and then a lot of people started coming to me can you teach us can you show us and I thought I really want to systematize what I do so for me my book was really getting it out of my head putting it into a step-by-step -step, a book because I knew that if that was it, it written in a sequence which was understandable or you know could be understood by people who read it and that I could teach it that it was then in a format that that was teachable, that was repeatable, you know, and so that was one of the reasons why I wrote that. And it was good. It was, you know, really good to be able to get that all out of my head. But, you know, one of the biggest things that made a huge difference was writing the headings, the chapter headings and formatting that first so that there was this really nice flow. And then I would go back and have a look at the chapter headings and say, what articles have I written? What snippets from social media have I written that is you know, relating to that particular heading and that chapter heading, put that in there because it's a lot easier to edit than it is to create from a blank space. So get all of the information in. And then from there, I fleshed out the different chapters and so forth. Um, and then once that was done, I kind of then went and edited it through. And you edit it to the point where you think, I can't read this anymore. I hate that book. <laughs> you, know, it's, you do, isn't it? You think to yourself, if I've got to read that, that whole thing one more time, I'll go nuts. And then, of course, you get an editor to go through that for you at that stage. But yes, do it in stages. Do it in stages, I find works really well. 
I'm not sure about you because I've often like I used to work with in construction and read specifications and then they'd update a specification. So I would pick out little changes in it. And I've had a few people, they wrote books, they gave to me. I would pick out even when I'm reading, you know, any book, I'll I'll spot an error. The amount yes. of errors I had in my own book was embarrassing. Thousands. And I was even reading it, but I was told, read it out loud because you're still reading it the way you, you think. In your head, exactly. <laughs> I, I had the same thing. You could sh- stare at something and then go back a couple of days later. And it's normally you notice your own spelling mistakes when you're holding your published book in your hand and you think, oh, my goodness, how did I miss that? But anyway, that book, I, I didn't share the title. That's called Industry Thought Leader, How to Go from Invisible to Influential and Profitable with a Podcast. So that was really good. And the reason I wrote that is because, uh, again, I based one of my programs on that as well podcasting with purpose 90 days idea to launch but i i really like to focus on the branding the positioning the message thought leadership rather than the technology and that's really where i focused a lot on that this book how do you bring the message how do you stand out how can you then monetize you know your podcast what are the mistakes that i made so that people don't make the same mistakes that i had to go through and struggle through so that was the main one of the main reasons i wrote that book and like in the crazy times that we're in i know a lot of people have to change their jobs because they're being forced to take the poison dart so you might give one interview technique that you could tell people that might help well i can do something better for you actually this is what i've said to all of mine i'll give you some details on the show notes i have got a resume writing course and i have got the 10 key steps to ace that interview and i've said to anyone who is forced out of a job no jab no job this is the policy that we have here in Australia too, they can access those two courses for free and my book for free. So I'll leave you there. So I won't only share a tip, but I I can give them access to um, that writing a resume and that book for, for free. But one tip, again, to be prepared, you know, so often we are so nervous when we're going to an interview. It is a conversation. It is just as much you ensuring that the company that you're interviewing with is, is just a good fit for you as you you are for them, you know, and so often I think as individuals, I know women tend to do this so well, men do too, but they're able to often speak their way through that anyway, you know, we minimize our strengths, our abilities, and it's the chatter that goes on in our heads that often talks us out of, of delivering and just having a conversation. I remember interview coaching someone, Roy, who had been seconded into a government role. She was the only person that knew what she was doing in that role because of the diversity and the experience that she's had. So when the position came up for tenure, they'd written the job description with her in mind and she had to go through the process of interviewing for it. She was so nervous and she was the only one that was going for the job and they they knew that it was for her, but she was so nervous. She couldn't answer the questions properly. They And they said, look, we can't offer it to you because you're going to have to go and tweak because you didn't answer them properly. So we can't honestly say yes. So she had to get some interview coaching to help position herself. She was the one that did the job and she knew she had the job, but she just, you know, she got so nervous. So we can talk ourselves out. We can think ourselves out of making an impactful interview or, or have 
having an impactful conversation. So, but I'll give you, I'll give you the link and I'll give you the, the codes and all that. So if you know anyone who is struggling, they can get access to that. And I hope that it gives them the, what they need to, to take that next step. And they, they get an even better job. And they think to themselves, I should have made this role, this change years ago. Thank you for terminating my employment because I've got something much better, isn't it? Often they, through challenges, you end up somewhere much better that you may not have even thought was possible. So that is my hope for people who may be in that situation uh, listening today. Brilliant. And uh, just like, because a lot of people, you know, they're branding themselves, they're promoting themselves. So with the different ones, like we mentioned earlier, like LinkedIn, we both like LinkedIn, but what do you find is the, the best way? Are you overwhelmed with it? And same with the book as well. Like I don't know that yourself uh, publisher, you go with a publisher, but like the promotions in all you're doing, because whatever someone is doing, whether they want to be a speaker, podcaster, whatever it is, it's all about letting people know you can't just open the door and they'll come running to you because we, we know that doesn't work. Yeah. You know, I think one of the biggest hurdles, and this is something I think we all will, will struggle with from time to time. And I, and I don't know, I, I think the culture is similar in the UK and even in Ireland here to Australia, we have what we call the tall poppy syndrome. And it's like, don't think too high of yourself or we'll, you'll just kind of get cut down. But that has ramifications to that. You may be someone who has got such diversity and such expertise. You need to be able to share and talk about it in a way that takes ego out of it because no one likes an arrogant so and so, you know, but you don't need to be arrogant. I so many people, even when I was interview coaching, they would say to me, Anne-Marie, I don't want to big note myself. I was part of a team. I just did my job. And I said, you don't have to big note yourself. You don't have to tell everybody that, or the person that you're speaking to, that you're better than anyone else. But what you do want to do is you want to showcase the challenges that you've overcome, the initiatives that you've contributed. Doesn't say that, you know, I mean to say that I did everything I, 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 but what you do want to do is share the success stories so that you can show them that you may be better placed to have that role or you may be better placed to work with that client. So you're not big noting yourself and saying how wonderful you are, but rather showcasing and sharing, you know, these are the things that I did. These are the the challenges that I overcame. These were the initiatives that I put into place. And this is the outcome that came from that. Let your successes, let your stories, your case studies speak for themselves. And when you bring it forward in such a way that it is conversational and then it adds value to that organization, or even if you're talking to a Perspective client, they will get the sense that um, you know you know what you're talking about, and if you really relate it well to the situation that they have got or the company and and where they're hoping to to that role will grow with the company, then they'll be able to see if that's a good fit. And I think once people realise, oh, I don't have to you know toot my own horn so to speak, but rather just share success stories. You share it in a way that you would normally in your mannerisms, you know the, the characteristics and how you speak, and people will sense that they'll pick up on that Um, because so often we think I have to put on a mask I have to you know toot my own horn you don't actually do it humbly you know the most humble people are often the people that have you'd look at them and they've got this huge long you know list of all of the things that they've done that's just part and parcel of who they are they go to work every day they they've, they've got you know initiatives they've got innovations but they do it with integrity and they do it with excellence you know consistently and uh, when you talk about it in that way that even you know th- with humility that comes across so you don't have to kind of 
pat yourself on the back. Although sometimes you need to do that for yourself because we can sometimes go the opposite extreme, can't we? And don't recognize the value that we bring. So it's a fine line. Between, I always say there's a fine line between arrogance and confidence. And, and for some people, they don't really know where that line is, but make sure you do. And, and then just walk, walk with integrity that way, I think is best. So finally, you might tell people what your podcasts are, because I know you've got a lot as well. You might just say what they yeah. are. Yeah, great. Thank you. So I have the Ambitious Entrepreneur Show, and that is uh, one of the shows that I absolutely love. That's my award-winning show. And that was actually syndicated for a couple of seasons on uh, Zimbabwe local radio station of all places. You just never know where your voice ends up. So that's Ambitious Entrepreneur Show. Then I have Women in Leadership podcast. And so it is talking, you know, women who have been in leadership roles, whether they are executives in corporate or whether they are leaders in their own business. And then I have another show, which is the Christian entrepreneurs show. So those are people who have business, but they also have uh, they've very much faith incorporated in that as, as well. And then I have a number of podcasts that are more so for my business alliance partners, Business Women Australia podcast, which has just been listed as number one Australian women's podcasts in feed, feed spot, I believe. And uh, so that was a bit of a thrill. And then Business in Heels is another one that I, uh, that I uh, host and produce for their members as well. So bit of a lineup there all around business and leadership and do you know how many you've actually done oh goodness goodness I've lost count because um, the Christian Entrepreneur Show when I first started was a daily podcast so uh that was that was a massive you're uh, you're you're in the thousands so. <laughs> yeah Yes. Yeah. And then we've also had a not just podcast episode, but also live stream with panels and, um, you know, events. Uh, there's a, a couple of organizations that I will often do MC and it's a little bit like a podcast interview because we'll have members for, across the, the globe of uh, people who are speaking. So it's done more like a summit, still a bit of a podcast event but uh so there's panels so you know it's not just one-on-one guests but a panel yes i love those two bit of navigating to do around you know with the the technology and uh the the lineup there but that's always a lot of fun so yeah thousands i've lost count lost count so listen that's been wonderful speaking jess you might let people know how they can get in contact with you yeah, absolutely. Well, my personal uh, website is annemariecross.com, but I love LinkedIn. I think you're on LinkedIn too, yeah. aren't you, Roy? So connect with me there. I've actually done just recently a 30-day challenge, but all of the videos are, are up there for people who would love to catch up on the replay. So if you search uh, the hashtag and the number 30, 30 days to distinction uh, and you'll be able to see. So every single day over September, we had a little tip on how to become distinguishable, uncopyable and irresistible to your ideal client so that when they're ready to make a choice, you are the choice versus just a choice uh, for them. So that's something that people can catch up with if that's something that they're struggling uh, with in their business. Okay, excellent. And uh, I put all the links in the podcast description, but on the audio and the video, as well as the what you promised with the course, because that's you know greatly appreciated by a lot of people. So you know, I appreciate you actually offering that as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity, Roy. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you very much. So that's all for the Speaking Podcast. You can find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com or on BitChute on YouTube. Be sure to give us a five-star rating, review, thumbs up. It all helps. And share with your friends. Until next week, take care.